the scripture selection for today, the core or the thesis of the book of Deuteronomy, I think, could be found in chapter 10. And if one was hard-pressed to find a defining statement of the book itself, it would be found in chapter 10, verses 12 through 16. And so today's, today with the Lord's leadership and the leadership of the Holy Spirit and with His strength, we will survey much of chapter 10 of Deuteronomy, but I want to center the sermon on five verses. Five verses beginning with verse 12. So I'll ask you, in honor of the reading of the Word of the Lord, let's stand together as we read from verse 12 through verse 16. God's Word says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Underscore, memorize, affix to your heart and no longer be stubborn. Lord, we ask you to bless the word before us. Father, I pray that it would indeed find a lodging within our ears to hear today. God, speak to us. Help us, God, right now in this moment to fine-tune our heart towards worship. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I saw this quote last week that I thought was a little bit comical and also serious at the same time from an anonymous source that said, I'd, I would like to go back in the past and I would like to warn myself of the pitfalls. But I know that I'm too stubborn to listen. And I thought about that. Man, if that didn't ever peg me. And if I could send an older self back to the past to warn of the pitfalls that were ahead of me, I would be too stubborn to, to listen and change. And I thought to myself, what does it mean to be stubborn and what does it mean to be persistent? Because there is a vast difference between stubbornness and persistence in our lives. And stubbornness carries this notion that, that I'm going to press on even though I might be wrong. And even though I think that there might be some things along the way that might harm myself and those around me, I'm, I'm, st I'm stubborn, I'm still going to carry on even though I might be wrong, not caring about the warning signs ahead. Persistence, on the other hand, would be that I'm going to press on because I know in my heart of hearts that, 
that I'm, I'm right about this. There's truth. And so in short, stubbornness is about the condition of the heart. It is about our motives and persistence is driven by faith. So over the next few minutes, I pray that you will grant me freedom to speak, to preach openly to you today, and that we all would have ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church. I pray that you will take heart of what I'm about to share with you. I pray that you will pray or say to the Lord, God, speak, speak to me today. Lord, change my attitude if it needs changing. Have you ever prayed that? Lord, change my attitude. If, if I need redirection, God, change me. Change my heart. I, I know that you're the only one that can do it. Lord, change my perspective to be lined up with your word. I want to, I want to be like Jesus. Remember those old, um, I think it was the Gatorade commercials that, to be like Mike, me, Michael Jordan, be like Mike. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like, I want to be like Jesus. Change my perspective to be lined up with your, with your word. Much of Deuteronomy is a reminder. It is, today's a day of remembrance, isn't it? We remember. Deuteronomy is a book of remembrance. It is a reminder to God's people, how far that He has brought them. We've already touched on this momentarily, how, where God has brought us from, where He's brought us to now. And then, and then it is the importance of listening to what He has to say. Listening to what God has to say, and then, and then taking action to that. And although this seems like an easy task, and we, we could, you could sit under the preaching all day long, and you can hear what I have to say. To say it, and it becomes an easy task to know, yeah, I, I'm going to pray, God, change me, change my attitude. I, I know that's what I need, but, but it becomes, in our human nature, it, it, it's difficult. Why? Because we trip, we fall many times in this, in this life. We trip, we fall along the way, we, we stumble, we sin. We don't cling to Jesus as we should. And so, if I were to say, if we identify with anyone in the Bible at this point. We identify with the people of ancient Israel more than what we would like to admit to. And as we continue on the topic of remembrance, let's look at the word of Moses here at the beginning of verse 1. And this will set the tone for our focal verses today with this question, are these new commandments that God has given? And how are we to live out the commandments that the Lord has given to us. How will we be enabled to do so? In chapter 10 and verse 1, it begins and it talks of Moses saying, The time the Lord said to me, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first. Now the beautiful thing about the Hebrew language is a lot of times there are play on words that are incorporated in the grander lesson here. And it is no coincidence that the Lord uses in verse 1 this word for cut. Cut tables of stone and then in verse 16 uses this illustration of the circumcision of the heart. Like it is, these are commandments that are cut in stone, they are etched in stone, and so for the church, the commandments will be etched and cut within the heart of those who call Christ Lord by the work of the Holy Spirit. 
So he says, cut yourself two tables of stone that are like the first. Remember the ones that you crushed on the way down from Mount Sinai? In Exodus 20, as it began, I began to give you the commandments and the people's sin. Then in Exodus 34, verses 1 through, through 2, this is what I told you to do, that, that you are now to take these tablets of stone like you had the first time. And, and I'm going I'm to etch the commands in it. There was an ark that you made. You're going to put the ark in that. The two tablets of stone are going to go into the ark. And God wrote His commandments on these tablets of stone, and they were to be put in the Ark of the Covenant in the midst of the assembly. He says, That I turned and I came down from the mountain, I put the tablets of stone in the Ark that, uh, that I had made, as the Lord had commanded me to. And they had journeyed from that place all the way to uh, Masirah, which is where uh, which is where Aaron had died, and he was buried there. And then his son, Eleazar, took his place. He rose up in ministry. Uh, Aaron had uh, groomed somebody to follow in his footsteps. Now, there's a whole sermon that can come out of that right there, uh, but I digress. Eleazar took his father's place, and it says, from there they went to the land of the brook, brooks of water, and at that time the Lord set apart the tribe of, Ju of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant. And it says in verse 19 that Levi had no portion or inheritance with his brother, uh, the Levites were to attend the objects of worship. Uh, the Levites, in other words, in today's vernacular, they were given a parsonage. Okay, <laughs> maybe that's the best way to understand that. They were you're given a place to a place. They were they were um, they were provided for. Uh, they did not get a portion or inheritance. Their inheritance was to attend to the worship of 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 the Lord. And the Bible says that the Lord was unwilling to destroy you because of your unwillingness, your stubbornness. And he said, go, arise, go on your journey at the head of the people so that they may go in and possess the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. And then from verse 12 on, there is this preparation of that. All this time, God has been preparing His people. He had been molding them, shaping them, getting them ready. But what is He getting them ready for? What is He preparing their heart for? I submit to you today that He is preparing their heart to worship Him. So, number one, prepare your heart for worship. Pre prepare your heart for worship. What we'll find in these verses is the preparation of the heart and then the fine-tuning of the heart. But what does it mean to worship? We asked this question in our Sunday school class not long ago. What does worship mean? And some said, well, that is praise to the Lord. And I agree, that is worship. It is praise, it's praise to God. Others might say we sing praises or we hear the word. And all of those are part of worship. All of those are part of worship. But worship is contingent on the position of the heart. I mean, if my heart is far from God, how can I worship the King of Kings? If I come and my heart is not turned towards Him and I'm not seeking Him, how, how is that worship? Sometimes we might feel fine when we approach worship. Sometimes we feel good when we come to the house of God. And other times we feel disconnected. We don't feel like coming. We don't feel like being here. And if I was to ask you right now, has there ever been a time when you did not feel get, like getting up and coming to church? 
you would probably raise your hand, wouldn't you? But this might be a shocker to you. You ready? Worship is not based on how we feel. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah that the heart is sick and wicked above all else. Who can know it? Who can know it? Answer. God. God can know it. Alistair Begg, I love Alistair Begg. Uh, he once stated this about worship. He said, only when we are captured by an overwhelming sense of awe and reverence in the presence of God will we begin to worship God in spirit and in truth. Some would say worship is not a Sunday event, but a Saturday affair. What they mean by that is, well, you got to get ready to worship on Sunday morning, but in order to do that, you do it on Sunday or Saturday night. And although that might sound like a nice, spiritual, overly inflated spiritual saying, sometimes you might see that on Facebook, right? Worship on Sunday takes a Saturday Saturday preparation, meaning we prepare for worship before we ever step foot in, in a church. And although that might sound super spiritual and that might make you sound like a, a theologian from time to time, I would take that a step further. What do I mean by a step further? Well, worship is a lifetime affair and is not simply confined to one day or days of the week. It is how I live my life. Now I treasure meeting on Sunday mornings with the believer. It's one of the most treasured times of my week. Hearing the saints of the Lord sing, to hear the folks fellowshipping and praying together. Do you know that this is a praying church? This is a praying church. Worship is a lifestyle. It is a lifestyle. But how does Moses instruct Israel on how to worship or prepare, prepare to worship, and then how does that affect you and I today on this side of the empty tomb? So let's look. I have a few things I would like for you, if you will, underline in your Bible, make note. They're quick little instructions. And now Israel, he says in verse 12, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear, underline it, the Lord your God, to walk, underline or highlight in all of his ways to love, underline, and to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Then verse 13 says, And to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. So I would not say specifically that that is some type of formula. I don't like using that terminology. It is a formula. It's an equation. It's, it's, a, it's something that we fit into this mold, but it's certainly helpful. The moment of truth, he says, is, is before you. You are about to inherit the land that God has given to you. You have been reminded of your past heritage. You have been reminded of the covenant. God has been good to you. And now is the time for you to be the people that God has called you to be. And I don't care where you are at in the church and your spiritual walk with the Lord. That, that is for you today as well. It is time for you to be the people that God has called you to be. So let's look. Fear the Lord, he says. Fear the Lord, who is the author of life and death itself. He is the I Am. He is the I am, the self-existing one who is worthy, not just a little bit of our worship on Sunday morning, but all of it. 
He is the I am that Moses encountered at the burning bush. He said, I am the self-existing one. John Gill said this of the fear of the Lord. He said, to fear him with this familial fear, to fear him with his goodness and him for his goodness sake, and particularly for pardoning grace and mercy that is bestowed to them. The fear of the Lord, I believe, prepares the heart for worship. And how does it do that? Because it places King Jesus reverently above everything else. I don't care about what is in my crock pot at home, right? When I'm here, I don't care about what I'm doing after church. It's Him. It places Him above everything else. Prophet, priest, king, the Lord Jesus is rightly to be praised and feared with this deep, worshipful reverence. This fear of the Lord has, has this, this a root of deep, reverential worship, where everything else seems to dissolve around it. Then he says that you are to walk in his ways. Walk in his ways. See, part of worship is not just learning what the Bible says, not just hearing what Scripture says, but then living that out, practicing what we preach. Ever heard anybody tell you or say to you, well, you need to practice what you preach, buddy? Well-known saying. Practice what you preach. I like this. I like it this way. What does it mean to live out our faith? I like it this way. To showcase Jesus. I like that. To showcase Jesus in our lives. To lift up Christ wherever we're at, and to live out our faith. In, in the New Testament, this word walk is used 52 different times in the New Testament alone. And most of the time, the usage, it, it refers to or it, it reflects a relationship to Jesus and how we continue in our faith in Him. You notice it didn't say, after we fear the Lord, it didn't say, and a standstill in His ways, did it? It said a walk. It is a continual motion. We talked about this this morning, that in our walk with Jesus, there is, no, there is no movement or there is no time allowed, I think, to be stagnant in our walk. We're either walking forward or we are moving backwards. Not out of faith, not out of fellowship, not out of salvation, but in closeness with Jesus. We're either moving forward or back, backwards. There's nobody that's staying stagnant. Even when we might say, as the Bible says, be still and know that I am God, that is part of personal prayer life. And even in that sitting still, you could be moving forward. So to walk, we continue in our faith in Him. You know, I like to ask questions. So here's something to think about. Does our walk, does your walk in Jesus, does your walk, does your lifestyle, does it reflect Jesus well? Or do we tend to put Jesus on the down low? What do I mean by that? Do people even know that we are followers of Jesus? Do people know that you're followers of Christ? Do we walk close enough with Him for people to know? Hey, that's something different about that person. And if we are walking with Him and closely with Him, can people see it? And if we are not walking close with Jesus, 
Are we really worshiping him? Now, I can't answer that for you. That's only you, you, you have to answer that between you and the Lord this morning. But if we're not walking close to Jesus, are we really worshiping? Also, to prepare the heart for, for worship, we are to love and to serve the Lord with all of our heart. Now, you, you notice that I mentioned these two together. They are intertwined together. They are closely knitted together. And what do I mean by that? What I mean by that, that the greatest service to King Jesus, the greatest service to, to the Lord and to each other, it springs from love. It fountains from our love for Him and for one another. In fact, the love that we have for Jesus and the love that we have for one another, it compels us towards plentiful and earnest service to King Jesus. In other words, I like this song. I don't think we've ever sang this here. We may have. I may have missed it. There's a simple song that I think sums this up quite well. And in this song it says, I will serve thee because... I love thee. I will serve thee because I love thee. You have given life to me. This love and service isn't something that, that we muster up. It is not manufactured. I submit to you, it is a love and service that is a production of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. As we live our life consecrated to Jesus and as we worship, I believe it overflows out into service one to another. In fact, the first commandment that Jesus gave was what? To love the Lord your God with, with all of your being, everything you have. Worship to Jesus comes from a place of love and, and deep adoration for Him. It is not out of obligation. It is not out of duty. I hope you didn't come this morning thinking that your attendance here in worship was that out of duty or obligation. I hope you didn't come this morning to pull out your checkbook in, in, or your checklist and say, Ah, I came to church today. Worship comes from a place of love and deep adoration for Him. We also worship the Lord in keeping His commandments and His statutes. See, John the Evangelist makes this very easy. Not only does he mention it in the gospel that bears his name, but he also in the letter of 1 John. John the Evangelist makes this easy for those walking in, in Jesus when he wrote these words. He said in chapter 2 and verse 3 and 4, And by this we know that we have come to know Him. How do we know that we know Jesus? Well, we keep His commandments. And whoever says that I know Him but does not keep His commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Listen, I don't want to be a liar. Whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. It's this ongoing progressiveness. It's a, it's a progressive movement of us growing in our faith. It's, it's what we might call, theologians might call, a progressive sanctification. And by this we may know that, that we are in him. The statutes of Moses that are listed here that are outside of the law of God or commandments are those, those that are the civil law or the ceremonial laws that are not necessarily pertinent to us today in that regard. Uh, but the moral law of God still stands true. And how does the commandments, 
And how does these statutes affect us today? How do they affect us today? How do we, how do we live them out today? I want you to listen to these, this particular verse very carefully. In Hebrews chapter 10 to verse 16, man, this is mind-blowing. Hebrews 10 to verse 16 says, This is the covenant that I made with them after those days, declares the Lord. And here's what he says. This is the promise that we live in today. He says, I will put my laws on their heart, and I will write them on their minds. God himself will write his commands on the heart of those who are in Jesus by the power of the indwelt Holy Spirit. You mean, preacher, I don't have to walk around with a copy of the Ten Commandments in my pocket all day? You mean I don't have to break them out and look and see if I broke any of them today? You mean I don't have to labor about which ones I might have broken? My eye may have strained today and I might have lust in an inappropriate place and, uh uh-oh. You mean I don't have to I don't have to recite the Ten Commandments daily? You mean that God has provided a better way? God will give me the desire to live upright before Him. And that desire is written on our heart and in our mind. And we are able to live them out because of what Jesus did on the cross and by His resurrection. That is exactly the meaning. He says, Behold, the Lord your God belongs heaven, and He's uh, the heaven of heavens. He's like the King of kings and the Lord of lords, verse 15. And yet the Lord has set His love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You're above all the peoples, just as you are this day. But my friends, we are to prepare our hearts for worship. There was nothing special. There was nothing extraordinary about Israel or the Hebrew nation. There was nothing overly exaggerated about common, regular people that God has chose to make His name known. And uh, I can't figure all the ins and outs of that other than that God is in control and that God is sovereign. Why did God call Israel? Because He's God. Why did God call you as a child of God? Why? Because he's sovereign. Moses gave these words to an impressionable Israel. God wanted the heart of the people to be bent towards worship. And I love these words from Elizabeth Elliot on worship. Listen to these words she said. She said, worship is not an experience. Worship is an act. And it takes discipline. We are to worship in spirit and in truth. Never mind about feelings. Remember what we said about feelings? We are to worship in spite of feelings. So imagine Mount Sinai. I mean, I think at the time we started Deuteronomy, they were about 38 years in, pretty close to going into this promised land. Imagine the tired faces of these people who had been tested for up, this coming up 40 years, and it's time for them to enter into the promise, 
of the Lord. To worship the Lord, they are to fear, they are to walk with Him, they are to love Him, they are to serve Him, they are to keep His commandments. Now, I say all that to ask you this morning, before we go into the fine-tuning, where is your heart at this morning? Are you here in mind and heart? Or are you drifting to another place? I've got to admit, you know, it's easy to drift. It's easy to find our heart and mind in other places. Can I submit to you that God wants all of you? Is your heart and mind fixed on Jesus? Moses takes this a step further. There is a heart change that needs to take place. Fine-tune your heart for worship. Fine-tune your heart for worship. This is where it would take practical application into account. How does one go from preparation of the heart through fearing and loving and walking and serving and keeping to honing in our worship to the Lord in specific ways? How do we go from theory to practice? What does love the Lord your God with all of your being, what does that really look like? You know, I think the greatest example of what that would look like would be Jesus' death on the cross. It begins in verse 16. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. I asked you at the beginning of that to underscore that, commit it to memory, etch it into your heart, etch it into your mind, to be no longer stubborn. Now, um, I must say that part of the Stevens gene, I can accurately attest to this morning, um, having three boys and myself, is that of a little bit of stubbornness. And so I can certainly relate to this uh, prohibition, if you will, from clinging on to stubbornness and no longer be stubborn. This is a nod given to Abraham to circumcise all of the Hebrew people. It was a reminder of the covenant that God gave to His people. A reminder that they are His, that they are His people and a reminder that they are to be evangelists to the nations. They are not just to be their people set apart. They are set apart for a purpose. They are to be evangelists to the nations. To show those people that, they, that there is one true God, and He demands their worship and adoration. It was a sign of a new work that God was doing amongst the people, and is a sign of a new work in the heart. Now, we're all grown and mature people here, I hope. But think about it. What are the most normal Acts that a man can do during the course of the day was to use the restroom, use the tree line, use the ditch, or if you're a Stevens boy, use the back porch. But every time, every time they went, they are reminded of this covenant. They are reminded of this covenant. And that is what is behind the circumcision of the heart. That we are to remember the goodness of God every single moment of our lives. Make steps 
towards spiritual application. What does this mean? Well, for Israel, it meant that you are to cleanse your heart from all filthiness and overindulgence and disobedience. And, you, and by the way, those things still stand today. To purge our heart by the work of the Holy Spirit from those things that are filthy, overindulgence, disobedient to God. Which, by the way, if they are not cut off in our lives, makes the person profane, unclean, and repulsive in the sight of God. Don't believe me? Read the history of Israel during the days and prophets of Jeremiah and Isaiah. For those in Jesus, the cleansing is done by the master surgeon. I want you to hear these words and let them echo in your heart and mind. Colossians 2 verse 11 says, In Him also you were circumcised with circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh, the circumcision of Christ. He does the cleansing. He does the cleaning. And part of this preparation is putting off of this stubbornness. And I believe that there still is an active part that you and I play in this. There is some human agency in this as a child of God to cast those things away from us and to purge those things from our lives that makes our heart filthy and a reproach to God. Loving God with all of your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength, and the heart being circumcised to enable to do what it was from the beginning, the end design and the fulfillment of the whole law. The Holy Spirit moves us, moves you, moves me to dismantle stubbornness. Some of your translation might say stiff-necked. But we couldn't get the ox to turn his neck the way we wanted it. So we buried our neck and would not move it. So how does it manifest itself for Israel? Well, it manifests in this way. He reminds them that the God that you serve is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. Great and mighty and awesome God is He. King of kings and Lord of lords. We would echo throughout the book of the Revelation. In Isaiah 6, He is holy, 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 holier, holiest. He executes judgment for the fatherless and the widows and loves the traveler or the foreigner, giving food and clothing. And he says in verse 19, love. So this is practical. Purge your heart, worship me, so that you might love the sojourner, love the foreigner. Therefore, you were travelers, you were sojourners, you were strangers, you were refugees in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve Him, you shall hold fast to Him, and by His name you shall swear he is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying or magnificent things in your eyes. And your eyes have seen them. Your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons. And now the Lord God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. If anyone wants to take into the account the existence of God, look at Israel. If anyone denies the existence of God Almighty, look at the land of Israel. And how God has multiplied them. And how God has rose out of their numbers a Messiah who come to bore and bear our sins to Calvary's cross. 
So, just like you were foreigners or a refugee in Egypt, so are the people or nations around you. And as God loved you as strangers, now you are to love the foreigner or the refugee, the outcast, the traveler as well. And by the way, this is a foretaste of the gospel. This is the foretaste of the gospel. So, in closing, prepare your heart for worship. That would be fear the Lord, walk in His ways, love and serve Him, and keep His commandments. And then we fine-tune that by the work of the Holy Spirit. What do I mean by that? I mean, for those in Jesus, we listen. We listen to the Holy Spirit. And we move when He says move. If he says today, lay your cares on the altar, guess what? Lay them on the altar before him. If the Holy Spirit is saying to you today, Lord, help purge my heart, give me a clean heart, we do that today. Would you pray with me?